Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on February 25th, 2024, on the basis of Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 22. Our sermon text from Job chapter 1 says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on, on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Job had it all. A wife, ten kids, countless animals. If you added up the economic value of those animals, it's astounding. To put it in terms of today, millions and millions and millions of, of dollars. And Job employed many servants. He, he was considered the greatest man in all of the East. Job seems to be a contemporary of Abraham, and he lived east of the the Jordan River, and so he was considered by the people of that time the greatest of the men to the the east. And Job wasn't just known because he was wealthy, but, but the entire book of Job starts off by saying that Job was upright and blameless, that he feared God and shunned evil. He wasn't one of these nasty rich guys that, that is kind of scummy. No, this was an upright man who feared God. Yet tragedy struck him all at once in a a remarkably terrible way. Where where messenger after messenger comes to him. One comes and says, your oxen and your donkeys, they've been taken by the Sabaeans and some of your servants have died in that interaction too. And then before he's even done talking to that messenger, another one comes and says, uh, a fire came from the sky like sulfur and, and, and burned up. The, the sheep that you have. And then before that one's done talking, another one comes 
and says the Chaldeans formed parties, raiding parties, and they, they took away your, your camels and they killed more of your servants. And Job's got to be thinking, well, I don't know what he's thinking. This is all coming at him at once. But, but what possibly else could happen, right? And then the fourth messenger comes and, and probably drops the, the biggest bomb on him here. All ten of his kids died at the same time in the oldest brother's house as it collapsed. Job was distraught, as you'd imagine. He, he tore his robes, he shaved his head, he fell in the dirt. That, that was a sign of, of great mourning and bitter anguish. Try, try to put that in perspective, right? Uh, you're out and about running some errands for the day, and you get a phone call from your bank telling you that someone has cleaned out your account, all of your life savings are just gone, and there's nothing that the bank can, can do about it. And as you're on the phone, you, you get a call waiting, and there's another call, and it's a, a, a fireman, and he, he tells you that your, your house has had a fire and, and it's not salvageable. And then before that one's even up, you got another call waiting and you, and you pick up and you're being laid off of your, your job. And if that wasn't enough, then you get a call from a, a police officer who's responded to the scene of an accident and your entire family has died in a car accident. It's hard to even imagine how you'd feel with something like that distraught like, like Job. I don't think mourning or bitterness or, or pain even begins to describe how you'd feel. That's what Job is dealing with in his book here. Now, now we just get the beginning parts. We just read chapter 1. You get into chapter 2, it gets even worse for Job. Job loses his, his health as well, as if he couldn't lose any more. And the whole rest of the book... It's a long book. The whole rest of the book is Job talking with three, at first three of, I guess we'll call them his friends. I don't know if they were being very friendly in, his, in this book. And then he talks to a fourth one after a while too. And they're all wrestling with the question, why? Why did this happen to Job? It's kind of a natural question after something like that, right? Because we know something about ourselves. We are meaning seekers we understand that God is in control of all things and that nothing happens apart from his control. Even things that, even things that are, are terrible, that are the result of sin, are something that God didn't cause, but God can work out for, for his own purposes. And so we ask the question, why? What is the purpose behind some of these things? Sometimes that's a useful exercise, right, to think through why. Because the Bible does lay out sometimes why we suffer and some good things that can come from suffering. But the book of Job is an interesting book in the sense that Job never gets the answer to that question. He never finds out why. The actual why that we get to know from reading the book of Job is that Job was being put to the, the test. That this was a test of Job's faith. This was a test of his faithfulness, his commitment to God. Job didn't know that. Job didn't know about the conversation that was going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. When Satan said, of course he follows you because everything's going good in his life. If you just took some of these things away, then, then he'll curse you. 
He'll, he'll give up on his faith. Job didn't know about that conversation. So he wrestles this entire book with that question, why? And the only answer he gets at the end is from God, who says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? God saying, I'm God, you're not. Who are you to know why or, or tell me what to do? It's a natural question to ask. Why? It's one we've dug into, into in other sermons, certainly. But I want to propose a different why question for us today. The why question that I want to propose is, why was Job able to respond the way that he did? It seems opposite the way that any, anybody would respond at the end of Job chapter 1. A good place to start would be to ask a question that has an obvious answer, but it has profound implications on how you view your life and how you go about your life. Here's the question we'll ask. Did God owe Job? Did God owe Job something? After, after all, Job was upright and blameless. He feared God. He shunned evil. So did God owe him? Let's make it a little bit more personal. Does God owe you? Does God owe me? Well, what are we asking when we ask that question, right? If you owe somebody it's because you have incurred some sort of debt. So, is God in debt to you for something? And you might incur a debt because of something that uh, that person has done for you or maybe because of who that person is, right? So, does God owe us something because of something we've done for him or because of who we are? Well, who are we? That's a multifaceted question, right? And the Bible talks about that in a lot of different ways, but here's one of the ways that the Bible talks about who you and I are and what's common to all of us, that we are poor sinners. We are poor sinners that inherited that sin from our parents. And God's word holds his law in front of us and shows us the outgrowths of that sin, so that as we evaluate our hearts and our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't stack up to that law. We always fall short of that law. We are hopeless sinners. And our consciences convict us of that. They tell us that. It tells us that. Even such an audacious sin is to believe that God owes us something. That because of something I've done, because of my behavior, because I've tried to be a good person in life, that somehow God owes me certain blessings. That because I, I come to church on Sunday and because I volunteer for things at, at church or in my community, that, that God owes me something for that. In fact, we, we maybe have a subtle list of expectations in our heads. A subtle list of expectations that we have of God if I'm going to follow him. Now, we never say that out loud, right? You're probably, probably a little appalled that I even brought that up, right? But we have this list in our head. We just might not be aware of it until, until 
God takes one of those blessings away. Until one of those blessings is removed from your life. For Job, it was everything he owned, all of his possessions, right? And then his entire family, did he expect those blessings from God? Did God owe him those blessings? Did God owe him his health? Think about that for your life, too. You might have different pictures in your head of how things were going to go, right? Here's how my career path was going to go. Here's the blessings I expect to receive. And then when it happens differently, when something changes, that's a loss. That's a loss to us, right? But, but did you deserve that? Did I deserve that? But when you had this picture uh, when you were little, you had this picture of what your family was going to look like. And now you look at your, your family, and maybe it turned out like you wanted it to, but, but maybe it didn't. Maybe something changed, maybe something went wrong, maybe uh, something tragic happened. Did God owe you that blessing? If, if that's a little bit convicting, and, and let me tell you it is for me, if that's a little bit convicting, let me ask you another question. Have you entered into a transactional relationship with God? Where uh, you, make, uh, you make your following him contingent on the blessings that he gives to you. I want us to think about that a little bit. I want us to know that if we see ourselves rightly, if we see ourselves as poor sinners who inherited that sin from our parents, who, who, who see that outgrowth of, the, of sin in my life and, and don't deserve anything from God, in fact, we only deserve wrath and punishment uh, from him, then what you'll come to find is you don't want a transactional relationship with God. You don't want a transactional relationship with God because if blessings were contingent on what you could give to God, you'd have no blessings. I'd have no blessings. <laughs> because what could we possibly give to God? Now that's instructive to my heart. That's instructive to my heart because when I learn that, when I internalize that, when I believe that, then I will realize that any blessing, any blessing, no matter how small that comes from God, is a total and complete act of his grace for us. It's a gift that he is giving to us. And we can see that in his greatest gift that he gave us. The Apostle Paul said it really clearly in our, our, gospel, or in our epistle reading for today. I just want to read those words again from Romans 5. He said, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare, possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's gift to you of his own son on the cross for the, the forgiveness of everyone's sins so that, so that people would be justified from, from, um, before God, stand not guilty before him. This was his one-way gift to you. It means there's no arrow going in the other direction. God gave this gift of grace completely to you. He doesn't want repayment for it. He doesn't need it <laughs> because it's a gift. If something is properly a gift, 
then you don't want anything in return for it. God is giving you a true gift of his grace. He doesn't want repayment from, from you. And so if this is true for his greatest blessing, sending his son on the cross for, for our forgiveness, then it's true for every other blessing that he gives us as well. That these blessings that he gives us in life, whether it be family or job or, or possessions or, or, or whatever it may be, these are a total act of his grace to us. And we can give thanks to him for it in his grace that he gives, that he provides, that he protects, that he loves. A transactional relationship with God is a shallow relationship. And a transactional relationship with God actually removes the grace from the gospel. It assumes that you can give something to God. And when you remove the grace from the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. And when you remove the grace from the gospel, that, that message has no power anymore. But the message that has power is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That message has power. That message has power to change hearts. We, we've talked about the last few weeks how, how that message uh, changes hearts from someone who is an unbeliever to a believer. It creates faith in someone's heart. It strengthens our faith. That's why we come and hear the word here each week. But that message of God's grace in the gospel also creates something in you. It produces fruits within you. And some of those fruits would be thankfulness, gratitude, and contentment. Now, thankfulness, gratitude, and contentment are, are so obvious to us. We know when we feel that, when life is good, right? When we can very obviously see the blessings God has given us, given us and we are thankful to him for that. We, we have gratitude in our heart toward him. Yet this thankfulness, this gratitude, and this contentment isn't just a reaction, but it's something that God produces within us, and it's what lies behind Job's words. Now, Job isn't, isn't saying, thank you, God, for, for killing my children. He's not saying, thank you, God, for taking away my, my possessions. What Job is saying when he says this is, God, you are good and I trust that. I don't deserve anything from you. And you are still my God. That has not changed. I am faithful to you. He might, even, he might even in his, more, uh, in, his, in his better moments say, thank you for the time that you've given me with those children. Thank you for the blessings that you bestowed on me back then. Thank you, Lord. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I don't want you to get the wrong idea that Okay, I'm a Christian, I experienced this t terrible tragedy, so, all right, great. I love suffering, this is great. Job wasn't like that. Job was hurting more than anyone could imagine. Job was mourning, he was bitter. He, he wrestled with God. You, you'll see that throughout the rest of the book. If you have time this week, just, just read through the book of, of Job. The first two chapters tell us what happens, and then the, the rest is this wrestling match that Job has with his friends, but also with, with God, too. Of why and how this happened, how, this, how a good God could do this. But what doesn't change throughout the entire time, Job knows, is God. Just because everything had changed in his life, just because his life had been rocked in a, in a, in a terrible way, 
God had not changed. God was still his God. God still loved him. God was still with him. His promises were still true. It didn't make it hard, or it, it did make it hard, it didn't make it easier. It meant Job was going to wrestle with God. It meant he had good days and bad days, but he trusted the Lord. The power of the gospel is that it produces within us a thankfulness, a gratitude, and contentment that supersedes the, the things that are going on in our life. This tragedy, it should have crushed Job. And at times he probably felt crushed. But the gospel of God's grace gave him strength to respond to the Lord with thanks and praise and worship. Like I said, that wouldn't make his life easy. And we shouldn't imagine that the crosses that we bear in life, and you will bear a cross, we shouldn't imagine that that will be easy or delightful. But Job would continue to wrestle with God, and he would continue to trust God through that wrestling match. He would continue to trust God as he continued to suffer and mourn for the rest of his life. And what God is, is asking is he's inviting you into that struggle. He's inviting you to, to uh, rely on him and to trust in him amidst any of the suffering that you, you deal with, any crosses that you bear in this life. And he's asking you to trust that he is powerful enough to produce a faith in you that can respond with praise and thanks in, in times of happiness in times of extreme sorrow. God grant us that. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for taking time this week to, to be in the Word and to grow in your faith. We know that where the Word is preached, the Holy Spirit is working to strengthen and to create faith in the hearts of people. Uh, because we know that's the case, uh, and if you enjoy these sermon podcasts, we'd, we'd really love it if you'd share these with your friends. Uh, this is a, an easy way to evangelize and to get the word into people's ears. And, and as a way of also doing that, could you hit like or subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast? This is just a way that we are able to be seen by more people so that more people may hear this gospel message. We hope you'll join us next week as we, we dive into God's word yet again. God bless.